We're working our way through Exodus. And we, uh, we've basically been going a chapter at a time, but we've kind of divided chapter 30 into um, smaller chunks. Last week we looked at the first 10 verses. This week we're going to look at verses 11 through 16. So just to give you the context, as we read through Exodus, as, as, as we read these verses today, understand that Moses is still up on the mountain with God, receiving all these instructions. And the children of Israel are back down the mountain, and they're in their camp. And while Moses is up receiving instruction from God, the children of Israel are becoming increasingly restless and their sinful lack of faith is getting ready to manifest again. And in these verses that we're going to read, we're going to see Moses receive these instructions to do a census of the people. Specifically, God commands that he number every male 20 years and above. Every man was to be given was to give a half shekel of silver to be an offering to the Lord to make atonement for himself. Failure to do this would result in a plague among the people. And this offering to the Lord was for the service of the tabernacle of meeting. That was to be a memorial. That offering was to be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement. Now, this may sound kind of funny because we preach and we teach and the Bible teaches us consistently from beginning to end that we're redeemed by Jesus, that we are redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Specifically, we are redeemed not by the blood of an animal, but we are redeemed by the blood of God's sinless lamb, his son. But yet, in these verses, we're going to see that God commands that they give or pay a ransom for their atonement. Let's read these verses, beginning in verse 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give, a half shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is twenty geras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall give an offering to the Lord to make atonement. I'm sorry, the rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. And you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. The word of the Lord. Amen. Father, open our hearts and open our minds. Let this good seed of your word, of your gospel, be implanted in the good soil of our hearts. Let it bring forth a harvest of righteous fruit for your glory. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So God commanded a census and a ransom. In other words, a payment and accounting. The census was to number Israel. Though it's not specifically noted here, we're going to 
see later on in Numbers chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, that the census numbered the men of war for the armies of Israel, each according to their tribe. And specific to this text is the ransom every man was to give for himself to the Lord. Numbering Israel without giving the ransom would result in a plague among the people. David experienced this when he sinfully numbered Israel without the Lord's permission, commanding, or without God commanding it, and without receiving the ransom. Now, this sounds kind of funny, that God would command that Israel would pay a ransom for themselves, but that's exactly what God says here. And there is a way, remember, everything in the Old Testament, what Marley just said, the woman who, who organized the Bible readings, the New Testament is commentary on the Old Testament. So we can't read Exodus chapter 30 and just take it at face value and think that today we must give a payment of money to ransom ourselves because that is not scriptural. Yet God here commanded a payment of money for the ransom of Israel. Now remember, if we reduce everything in the Bible down to one subject, that one subject is Jesus Christ. And so as we've gone through and we've looked at the tabernacle and we've looked at the furnishings, furnishings and the priestly garments, we've seen how each one of those speak of Jesus Christ, his ministry, and also his church. Now, this is no different. This ransom that God commands Israel to pay, and that word ransom is related to the word atonement. The word ransom means the price of a life or the price of a soul. And the ransom is not a tax as we would understand it. It's not a tax collected simply for the service and upkeep of the tabernacle. The offering to the Lord was a memorial. It was to remind Israel of her sin and of her need for redemption. Verse 11, then the Lord spoke to Moses, when you take the census number to number them, Every man shall give a ransom for himself. God commands Moses to take this census, literally this word census, to take the census, census literally says to lift the head of Israel. And it's a picture of lifting the head and counting. And so God commands that they be counted and their number established. And it was not just a numbering and a tax. In taking the census, every man is commanded to give this ransom for himself to the Lord. And it was through the giving of this ransom, or the atonement money as it's called, that the count for the census was facilitated. So what you need to understand is a half shekel is not like a coin. We're not talking like a 50 cent piece. A half shekel was a unit of measurement. So a half shekel spoke of, it'd be like us saying half an ounce. And that's literally about what a half shekel was. The half shekel was equal to about half an ounce of silver. So the way we would understand it, we, we, because we trade our currencies in the forms of coin or paper money, We would better understand this if we understood that God said each 
person numbered would give an offering to the Lord equal to half an ounce of silver because they weren't running around with coins in their pockets or dollar bills in their wallets. Now, I want to remind you, so God, God is, this is not optional. In fact, God, God makes this so clear that it's not optional. He says, if you do not fulfill this ransom, don't just go counting, but if you don't fulfill this ransom, the plague will come upon you as the counting is taking place. So this was not an optional offering. But I want to remind you of something that we looked at earlier as we began this trek through Exodus. Where was Israel for 400 years prior to this? Well, they were slaves in Egypt. And we know that the last generations of their slavery in Egypt were under very hard service. But we also saw that when God sent Moses to deliver his people from bondage, as they are going out of Egypt, what does God put it upon the Egyptians to do? He puts it upon the Egyptians to give gold and silver and clothes and spices and everything you can imagine. In fact, the Bible says that the Israelites plundered Egypt on their way out. So God is demanding, commanding this offering, but guess who provided the offering for Israel to give to the Lord? Well, the Lord provided it. This is the point every week when we give our tithe and our offering, we are to be reminded that that regardless of who signs your paycheck and whose name is at the top of that heading there, it is the Lord that has provided your ability to give your offering to him. And God doesn't just want your money. Remember, your money is just signifying whether God has your heart, your life. God wants your life. The standard that Jesus set wasn't lowered when he came. The standard that Jesus set actually reflects where the standard always was. God demands absolute perfection, which we cannot give to him. So what are we left with? We are left with running to Jesus, the perfect one, trusting in Jesus, the perfect one who perfectly fulfilled the law, to give to God what we cannot give to him. And now our life is acceptable, an acceptable offering to God because of the provision given to us in Jesus Christ. This is what is being pictured here in Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16. God is not demanding or commanding something that he will not give Israel the provision to give out of. So God warned that failing to offer the ransom would result in a plague among the people as they were being numbered. And that reality is that Israel, that reality is that Israel and us today deserve the plague. Do you hear me? Israel was not going to get something they didn't deserve. And they actually deserved God's judgment whether they paid the ransom or not. This is the point of what God says to, to Israel in Malachi. When God says, oh, sons of Jacob, you are... 
I, I'm the same always. That's why you're not destroyed. Israel is not buying God's grace here. God has abundantly provided his grace. And the fact that the plague doesn't come signifies and symbolizes that we live under God's grace because we deserve the judgment, not the grace. But God gives to us in Jesus Christ what we do not deserve. He gives to us his grace. So we see this picture of grace here as God warns them to obey him so that the plague, so that the judgment does not come. Verse 13, this is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. What they're giving is an offering to the Lord. When God commanded Israel to take the census, he commanded that everyone among those numbered shall give a half shekel of silver as an offering to the Lord. And the numbering of those men was calculated from the amount of silver collected in the offering. So how did they determine the number? They weren't just counting heads and marking heads that they count. The command was very specific. Your offering is a half shekel of silver. Now remember as we've gone through this and God is very specific and very detailed about the measurements of the different furnishings in the tabernacle. So it, nowhere ever do we see God say, hey, make me, a, make me a table about three feet long and about two feet wide and I don't know, make it as tall as you want. We, we don't ever see that. We never see about two cubits or about one cubit approximately. We don't see that. We see exactly so what we can learn from that, when God says the ransom is a half shekel, guess what the ransom is? It's a half shekel. So when they got through collecting all of those half shekels from every male 20 years and above, they took the sum total of the, the, the total weight and they divided it by what? You guys know basic math. They divided the total weight by a half shekel and that gave them what? That gave them the number that was to be numbered. And God says, just in case some of you guys think that you might skip out on this and you might get lost somewhere in the shuffle, if, if the ransom is not received with the counting, the plague will come upon the people. So guess what? If I'm there and I decide, ah, you know, my half shekel doesn't mean anything amongst all these hundreds of thousands of people in Israel, I'm not going to give my half shekel. Guess what? They would find out real quick that the half shekel wasn't given because what would happen? God says, what's going to happen is the plague's going to come. This is exactly what happened to David. It's recorded for us in 1 Chronicles and 2 Samuel where David counts and he doesn't do it according and he doesn't do it under the command of God he just takes it upon himself to do it and there was no ransom given guess what happened what God said right here is exactly what happened to Israel the plague came during the counting and so this half shekel is the measure of weight that determined they calculated the number of those counted 
And then in verse 14, he says, everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. Those numbered were every male 20 years and above. Everyone included among those who are numbered shall give an offering to the Lord. Now in our modern day, here comes the question, Where, what about the women? Why weren't the women counted? Oh, this is the Bible. Here's this male-dominated culture putting women under the thumb again and oppressing them, not even allowing them to give in the offering to the Lord. That's the mentality of the world. That's not what's happening here. So how do we understand? We have to go all the way back to the order of creation to understand this. And we think God doesn't really mean what God says, but we should really and truly understand that God absolutely means what he says. So let's go back to the garden for a moment, and let's go back to the creation of Adam. Now let's see Adam there in the garden, formed from the dust of the earth. Here's the image, the, the form of a man but there's no life, so what does God do? God breathes his spirit, his breath of life into this dead lump of clay and Adam becomes a living being. And then we go through the whole thing where God allows Adam to name all the animals and at the end of naming all the animals, Adam comes to this conclusion. Hey, there's no one like me here. Everyone else has a counterpart. But I don't have one. So God puts Adam in a death-like sleep. Don't let that be lost on you. He opens up his side. Don't let that be lost on you. He takes from the life of Adam, part of Adam, and fashions from the life of Adam, a woman. And so now we have the man and the woman the part and the counterpart. Not, they are not two absolutely equal parts. They are two absolutely complementary parts. Do you know what a male plug? You know what you have if you have two male ends of a water hose and you need to connect your water hose so you can water your trees that are dying in the 110 degree heat? If you only have two male ends to a water hose, guess what you can't do? You can't connect them together. They're equal, but they don't work. Guess what? If you have two female ends to a water hose and you try to connect them together, you can't do it. It doesn't work. God didn't create men and women to be absolutely, totally, and completely equal. He created them to be absolutely, totally, and completely complementary. So much so that the scripture reads, when Adam comes out of his death-like sleep and he sees the woman, he says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become... One. So let's go back to Exodus with Israel understanding this truth, this spiritual principle, this truth that the man and the woman were created as part counterpart, complementary, and when they are joined together in holy matrimony, they become 
one. So in Exodus 30, God says every male over 20 years is to be counted. Does that mean that the women were not ransomed? Does that mean the children were not ransomed? Absolutely not. Each man numbered represented his household among each tribe. And the ransom money offered by each head of household applied to his whole household. In other words, his whole household was seen as redeemed, as belonging to the Lord as a result of the head of that household paying the ransom. That's why we treat children as members of the family of God. By the way, we also treat women that way, right? That's almost offensive to even say. But it should be equally offensive that if we don't treat children the same way. This is why Jesus said, suffer the little children and let them come unto me. That's why he said, unless you become like one of these little children, you, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is why we treat children as members of the family of God. We welcome them through baptism in the Lord's table. We train them up with the expectation that they will grow in the faith that has been gifted to them by God and not depart therefrom. Don't lose this picture presented here. God is not discriminating. God is not ignoring. God is not saying women and children are less important at all. In fact, God shows us, we're going to see in the following verses here, that God says it doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, everyone is going to pay the same because God is not a respecter of persons. But we see that in the order of creation, God created man and woman to come together and become one. That's why human bodies only have one head. That's why the body of Christ only has one head. It doesn't mean that the rest of the members don't count. They absolutely do. They make up the body. But Christ is our head. These men were the heads of their household and they represented the ransom and the atonement that would be applied to the whole household. Now notice there was a cutoff of 20 years. Now why is that? Well, because at some point, children grow up and become accountable for themselves. It's like when we baptize children, we don't believe that baptism of those children saves them. It doesn't make them regenerate. But it absolutely welcomes them into the covenant. It absolutely identifies them as members of the household of God. And we treat them as such. We raise them up as such. Mothers and fathers working together as one to raise these children in the Lord. And so this picture is important for us to understand that God is not discriminating against women. God is not discriminating against children. God is all about the salvation of children, women, and men, from the youngest to the oldest. 
Verse 15, the rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Here's another problem we have today. We think that people who are rich should be penalized for their richness and people who are poor should be entitled because of their poorness. Yet in the Bible, we never, ever, ever see anything like this. Now, the Bible does say, be mindful of the poor. The Bible does say, be mindful of those who are lacking and be generous in giving and loving your brother who might be in need. But we see a very clear picture here that God gives strict instruction and he does this in other places. Don't favor the rich and don't favor the poor. You treat all men the same. This is why the picture of our of Lady Justice has a blindfold on because justice is supposed to be blindfolded. Justice is supposed to be blind. We're not supposed to apply justice based on our feelings. Oh, that poor person. No. We are to apply justice justly. So God is no respecter of persons. The rich were not penalized for having more and the poor were not entitled for having less. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less when you give an offering to the Lord. The ransom money represented the price of a soul. The assertion here is the equality of all souls in the eyes of God. Men get this wrong constantly because we based the value of people on all sorts of outward things. It could be your age. It could be your weight. It could be the color of your skin. It could be the size of your bank account. It could be the type of car you drive, the house you live in. We discriminate in all sorts of ways. That's why we are sinful in need of a redeemer. But who is our example? God is our example, and God says, no, you're looking at the outward things, I'm looking at the heart. And when I look at the heart of a man, when I look at the soul of a person, there is no soul more valuable than another. And this is what is being communicated here. And the church would do well to learn this lesson and apply this lesson courageously. There's a way we can apply this and the world will applaud us. There's a way we can apply this and the world will call us haters. God says you apply it according to the biblical standard, not according to the standard of the world. Man, even today, is constantly tempted and is trying to achieve equality. The goal or the aspiration of mankind is to bring all humanity into equality, and that will never be achieved through humanitarianism or humanism, or socialism, or communism, or any other ism. It, it, it's not going to happen. It's impossible. Because it's man trying to do what man is not capable of doing. Mankind will never learn to break a common bread or drink a common cup until it comes to the common table of our Lord. That's why we come to this table every week. Because when you come to this table, we are all equal. It doesn't matter what you think about anyone else. When we come to this table, God sees us for who we are. We are equal to him. 
the price that Jesus paid was for all the souls of his children. And God doesn't love one of his children more than he loves the other of his children because he likes blondes better than brunettes or redheads or blue eyes or brown eyes or tall or short. God doesn't even love us more because we're more lovable than somebody else might be. Because God's love for us is not based on our lovability toward God. Our salvation, our redemption is based on God's unconditional love for us when we did not love him. The standard that God sets is high. But this is what God is reminding Israel of. They were already redeemed. But he said, I want you to remember that you will always need a redeemer, that you will always need a savior. I want you to remember that you are prone to sinfulness, that you are prone to wander from my ways. And I want this to be a memorial, a reminder of the, of the price that is paid for your redemption. There is no true equality outside of the true Lord. Verse 16, and you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and you shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. The half shekel of silver offered to the Lord by each person numbered was for the service of the tabernacle of meeting. And that offering was to be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. It was the reminder that they were sinners. It was the reminder that their lives were forfeited by sin and they needed a redeemer. They needed a savior. Guess what? We need a redeemer and we need a savior today. Now all that silver that was collected, they took that silver, they melted it down and in, in, in the detail of the tabernacle, there were these silver sockets. They were like silver feet that the boards of the tabernacle fit into. And so all that silver that's given in this offering now remember, Moses is still on the mountain. He's not come down yet. They haven't received this. He's just getting the instruction. But it's that silver that will be collected from this census that will be melted down and, and it will make the sockets that hold the boards. So in other words, the boards aren't touching the ground. The silver feet are on the ground and the boards go into the silver feet. Guess what Israel saw every time the tabernacle was erected? Israel couldn't see. They couldn't see behind the veil into the Holy of Holies. They could only picture in their mind the ark that was there because it was hidden behind the veil. But guess what they could see all the time that the tabernacle was was up and erected. They could see the silver feet that held the boards. And it was a reminder of them, a constant reminder that Israel was a people in need of redemption and that they were indeed a people that had been redeemed by the Lord. From the Song of Moses recorded in Exodus 15, 13, you and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed and you guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. 
from the expositor's commentary. Listen to this quote. It is the silver thus levied which was used in the construction of the sanctuary. All the other materials were free will offerings. They weren't commanded. They weren't obligated. There wasn't going to be a plague if they didn't bring it. It was a free will offering. But this was a commanded offering. But even as the entire tabernacle was based upon the ponderous sockets into which the boards were fitted, made of the silver of this tax, so do all our glad and willing services depend upon this fundamental truth, that we are unworthy even to be reckoned his, that we owe before we can bestow that we are only allowed to offer any gift because he is so merciful in his demand. Have you ever thought about that? That it is the grace of God, the mercy of God, that our gifts, our offerings are acceptable to him, that he receives them. Israel gladly brought much more than was needed of all things precious, but first, as an absolutely imperative ransom, God demanded from each soul the half shekel. God had redeemed Israel out of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh. They had been enslaved to Pharaoh, but now they belonged to the Lord. And the giving of this ransom as an offering to the Lord was a reminder of who they belong to. When you give each week, are you reminded of who you belong to? When you give your tithe, when you give your offering to the Lord, do you give it being mindful of who you belong to now that you have been purchased with something much more valuable than silver and gold? But you are purchased by the blood of the Son of the living God. The ransom money God commanded with threat of plague reminded Israel of their sinfulness. It reminded them of their need for redemption. It reminded them of the grace of the Lord who provides true and eternal redemption through faith in Christ. So how does this apply to our offering today? This ransom recorded here in these verses and our offering today. And when I say the word offering, we're tempted to think about that time during our service when those white buckets are passed around and we put our money in there. But that's really not the offering that God wants. That just signifies, that just symbolizes the offering that God truly wants, which is the offering of our life. When we offer to the Lord, we are to be reminded in the same way Israel was to be reminded. Our offering to the Lord should remind us of our sin and our need for redemption. It should remind us that God is graceful in accepting our gifts. And as with Israel, our offering should be a memorial before God. We are reminded that our redemption has been provided by God himself. Just like that silver that they gave was provided by God when he moved on the Egyptians to give them everything as they left Egypt. Your ability to give anything to the Lord is because God has provided for you and because God in his grace accepts your offering. 
Our giving does not redeem us. Our giving reminds us that the Lord has redeemed us. It is to remind us that he has ransomed us from the hand of one stronger than us. Jeremiah 31, 11, Jeremiah writes, For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. Today, when we offer to the Lord, we give ourselves with the assurance that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. There is no amount of silver or gold that we could possibly give to purchase our own redemption. Only by the precious blood of Christ are we given the assurance of our redemption and our salvation. His blood is the only price sufficient to redeem us. Put your trust in Jesus and know that you have been redeemed from the strong hand of sin and death by the stronger hand of the Lord and by his blood. And so the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You and I, we are not strong enough to redeem ourselves. But God, through Jesus Christ, has provided for our redemption. We come here. In fact, we are commanded to not forsake assembling of our, the assembling of ourselves together. And when we come, we go through the order of a service and we purposefully give our offerings to the Lord. But the point of that giving and the point of those offerings does have a practical application, but there's a much greater application that we often fail to realize. And that greater application is the reminder that we need a redeemer. We need a savior because we are a sinful people. But God in his grace, God in his mercy has redeemed us by the blood of his own son. Amen. I want you to get ready to come to the table. This table that is the great unifier. This table that looks beyond all of the outward things man likes to look at and looks and goes to the very heart. This table that speaks that God loves all. Jew or Gentile, male or female, young and old, rich and poor. I invite you, as you trust in Jesus, come to this table. Well, let's stand. In your charge today, I want to give you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon wrote, There can be no sort of communion between God and us except through atonement. The truth was thus taught that God's people are redeemed people. They are elsewhere called the redeemed of the Lord. If men reject the redemption which he ordains, then they are not his people. Arthur Pink writes, If we be not ransomed, we are not his 
God shows that we must be ransomed. We are commanded to offer ourselves and our substance to God. And when we do so, we are not offering simply to provide for pastors and buildings and ministries. We offer to the Lord because we are sinners in need of his redemption. And because he has indeed redeemed us by the precious blood of his son. We offer ourselves and our substance because we know that we have been redeemed. So our charge is to offer to the Lord and to be reminded of our need for him and his redemption. Our charge is to offer to the Lord and to be reminded that God has provided for us the life of his son who has secured our redemption through his blood. And in our offering to the Lord, we are to be reminded that we are sinful people in need of a redeemer and that God has provided for himself the price of our redemption through the lifeblood of his only begotten son. God has ransomed us from the hand of one stronger than we. God has ransomed us from the strength of sin and of death by the strength of his son and the blood of his son. And we are the redeemed of the Lord And if we are the redeemed of the Lord, let us live like those redeemed. And let us make known our redemption to all through our joyful obedience in all things. God commanded an offering. And the offering God commands of you and the offering he commands of me is our life. So church, our charge is that we offer our lives to him. And we don't do that just on a Sunday morning for two hours in this building. Our life is his. He bought it by his blood. And we offer it to him constantly without ceasing. May it be so to his glory. Amen.